Welcome to You Don't Have to Yell, episode 73, I think, I lost count. It is the bad boy of nonpartisan political podcasting here, and this week, as part of our series on ranked choice voting, we are taking a trip to Georgia, where the 2020 election season never ends. I sat down with Shai Robkin of Better Ballots Georgia, a brand spanking new organization focused on bringing ranked choice voting to the state to discuss why the current Senate runoff down there makes the perfect case for electoral reform. You can also find a full unedited video of our handsome faces on You Don't Have to Yell's YouTube channel. So please go check it out. I will be back at the end with some additional thoughts. Before we get into uh, what's going on down there, could you just talk a little bit about the goal of, of Better Ballot Georgia? Well, the immediate objective of Better Ballot Georgia is to somehow get ranked choice voting, or actually what we prefer to call it here right now, instant runoff voting, implemented in the state of Georgia. That may happen in a variety of different ways, but that is our immediate objective. Yeah, and this is, and I was shocked to hear this when we talked. You all like just started. You are a brand spanking new organization, right? We're so brand spanking new that we're really not officially anything yet. So we will yeah. be filing. We will be filing for five hundred one c three incorporation soon as an educational organization, but we have not yep. yet done that. In fact. Only recently have we determined who our board of directors is going to be. Okay, okay. And so I'll ask this question, kind of dovetailing off your earlier comment. Why would you try to reform elections now, Shy? It seems they're working swimmingly, aren't they? <laughs> swimmingly, yes, indeed. Well, if Georgia's any example, uh, we're swimming in debt in Georgia. For, for There are lots of reasons why... This is a good idea, but one of the things that has caught a lot of people's attention, particularly in Georgia, is that Georgia perhaps is the runoff capital, maybe not of the world, but of the United States, because mm -hmm. that's what our law dictates. So we go to the polls over and over and over again. And now that's a good thing, because at least we are electing candidates that achieve a majority, unlike yeah. other places where you can win without with just a plurality. But it does mean we go back to the polls, which is undemocratic in and of itself. And right now, people are really tired of it, and people are really, really repulsed by the cost. And by the way, if I can hold up something real quick right now. Yeah, that, go for uh, it. You can see this. So what this says, if you're just listening, this says Fulton, and that's the biggest county here, uh, which is I am live in, Fulton to spend $6.5 million on historic U.S. Senate runoff. That is one county in Georgia out of 159 counties, and each county is going to bear the expense of this one runoff, and we've had multiple runoffs. Yeah, and, and, and to bring the folks who aren't familiar with Georgia's system of elections uh, into, the, into the conversation here, too, you know, the way it works in Georgia, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Shai, but like, as a candidate, you have to win or you have to win a majority of the vote to take office, right? So you have to win over 50% of the vote or uh, to, to take office. And otherwise, it triggers a runoff, correct? Exactly. It's 50% plus one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
The other thing I want to highlight too, and this is something I actually highlighted uh, recently when I was speaking with uh, Rank My Vote Florida, just south of you, uh, looking to implement the same process down there, is that you know you're talking now it's six point four million for Fulton County, correct? Six point five, but you know, <laughs> serious what's money. Point, yeah, what's what's point one million? But uh, you know. The thing I always like to highlight too now is like this is this is in the middle of COVID. This is at a time when municipalities are already cash strapped, and so the impact of these runoffs from a fiscal perspective is obviously uh, is is obviously huge. Um, that that's one huge, thing. And if I may add, also yeah, go for it. It, it. it's huge from a physical perspective, but it's also huge in this particular environment for a health perspective because mm-hmm. it means that both voters and poll workers have to go back to the polls unless of course you know you are voting by mail which of course mm-hmm. many people you know, do do as a matter of fact today was the first day we're talking here on December 14th if I can mention that I just did I guess yeah, of course that, yeah. right? cats out of the bag now Shay yeah out of the bag now December 14th yeah. which is the first day of early voting unfortunately we do have early voting here which is good because it does spread out the people who are at the polls for those people who want to go do it in person. But in this days of COVID, to get people to do something which is not necessary to do is really, I consider, to be repulsive, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and my understanding, too, is that in these runoffs as well, the voter turnout the second time around is usually somewhat lower than the first, correct? Traditionally, and I think every runoff you find anywhere – the experience is that the turnout is lower, and that's mm-hmm. not that's definitely been true in Georgia in the past, but I think it's true in just about every election in the United States, regardless of where it takes place and regardless for the, for the office. And that's mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. I mean, we can go into them, but that is for obvious reasons. So you're not dealing with the same set of voters. The second go-round is where they're the first round, which mm-hmm. is a really mm-hmm. big – that's a strange thing to think about when you're talking about – reflecting the will of the voters. Yep. Yep. 100%. And I, I want to get into the story of how you actually came upon this. But before I do that, I I want to explain the concept of ranked choice voting for those who might not be familiar with it. And the analogy I use is, is actually from my life, Shy, which is, you know, I have four kids at home. And whenever we're deciding on ordering out or going out and getting something to eat, getting all four of them to agree is an absolute nightmare. And so as I've begun to study alternate voting systems, I came across ranked choice voting and I actually use it to resolve disputes around ordering food in my house because generally to give you the normal setup, which is similar to our current system of elections, you have you know one person who wants McDonald's, one person who wants pizza, another person who wants Chinese, and then another person who wants Chipotle or something like that. And they all fight and we never reach a resolution. Well, in the ranked choice voting environment in the Sally House, my kids each tabulate or each each mark down their first, second, and third choice. We take a look, and whichever option gets the most votes out of those first, second, and third choices wins. Chai, that's an ultra-simplified way of saying it, but would you agree that more or less sums up the, uh, sums up the mechanism of ranked choice voting? Well, more or less, but I, I sort of lost you right at the end there when you said whoever gets the most votes wins. Oh, I mean, whichever, not- excuse me, let me rephrase that. Whichever, whichever food gets the most, gets the, gets the most votes wins. 
So for example, if McDonald's is somebody's first choice and then two people's second choice, then that automatically wins. And the majority of people are happy because of course the majority of people have selected McDonald's somewhere in their first or second choice. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a variation of the thing, but let me ask you a question real quick. How old are you? Yeah, kids? go for it. How old are your kids? So 10, 11, 13, and then 21. And you would think okay. the 21 year old would back down from the argument, but not not a chance. So <laughs> Well, I was about to say I was hoping you were going to say that they were actually all below the age of 10. I oh, really? there is a, Well, the reason I say that is that uh-huh. right choice voting if any if the, the if there's a rap on ranked choice voting, at least what some politicians say is that it's yes. just too difficult for voters to understand. But the truth is Little kids can understand the example that you gave. Right? Mm-hmm. They get it. Now, the example I like to use, if you take them into an ice cream shop and you mm-hmm. say, well, what do you want? And your kid says, well, I want chocolate chip. And, they, and then you ask the uh, working person working behind the counter, say, oh, we're just out of it. You say, well, what is your second choice? And if they're out of that, what's your third choice? Mm-hmm. So they can rent their order of preferences. They can do that. So what I want to say here is when you're choosing your favorite restaurant that you're going to get uh, well I guess these days it's a takeout whatever it may be mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're going to rank McDonald's down to Chipotle whatever it may be you're going to rank them and as you go through the ranking the, the, the restaurant that gets the least amount of votes gets knocked out and wh- whoever voted for that restaurant their votes then go to the next choice and so on and so forth. You're always eliminating the choice that has the fewest number of votes. Now, if you only deal with four, there's not too many rounds you're likely to get to, but, uh, mm-hmm. but the principle still holds. Yeah, and and you have fine-tuned my analogy and 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 reformed elections here at the Sally household, so I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, yeah, you know, I can add, you know, one of the things, people sometimes think, well, I've never heard of ranked choice voting, or I've yeah. never, well, and that's the term that's used most internationally, and I do mean internationally because it's been used all over the world since about 1918. Um, but this has been used all over, not necessarily in political situations, at least for elections for public office, but people use it for all sorts of things, including deciding in a business what they want for the holiday parties, deciding in any sort of organization how they want to choose people to do certain things. People use it all the time. It's not an unfamiliar concept, but it has not really broken in big time yet, although it is breaking in to the political sphere. Mm-hmm. And now the term you're using, if I'm correct, in your organization is instant runoff voting, correct? Because that really kind of, I think, resonates more with your current system. Am I, am I right there? Exactly. So, you know, we, we say it's instant runoff voting, also known as AKA ranked choice voting. We had to make a decision which way we we're going to go. Was it going to be ranked choice voting, instant runoff voting, or vice versa? But mm-hmm. because Georgia are so familiar with the idea of runoffs, and we want to focus on the idea of getting rid of runoffs, right? that that's why we decided to call it instant runoff voting, something they could more easily mm-hmm. identify with. Okay. Okay. And I, I want to get a little bit more into your your strategy and your efforts. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about how you found ranked choice voting, because I found this super interesting. So by, by work, you're a behavioral economist. And could you just That's explain, correct. could you explain what a behavioral economist does? 
Well, there's lots of things. Most behavioral economists are academicians. <laughs> they do a mm -hmm. lot of research in universities and things of that nature. And perhaps some of your listeners have heard about the most popular names, which are the Nobel Prize runners, for example, Danny Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2002, although he's a psychologist, or Richard Thaler, who won it in 2017, who actually is an economist at the University of Chicago. And maybe some folks have heard of Dan Ariely, who's a very, very popular and entertaining guy who has the name of the best institute in the world. It's called the Institute for Advanced Hindsight at Duke. But in any event, so uh, I'm more interested in the practical side of behavioral economics, uh, and I'm not an academician, so I don't do any independent research. What I do is to try to apply the principles of behavioral economics in business, so I consult with businesses on how to apply these various concepts. And I also do some teaching, uh, primarily in continuing education classes. So that's what I do. But the, basically, behavioral economics, sometimes it's just referred to as a hybrid between economics and psychology. I think the easy way to understand it is it's really the study of decision-making. And if I can quote Dan Ariely, who wrote probably one of the most entertaining books about behavioral economics, which is called Predictably Irrational. It's basically... Mm -hmm explaining how people make decisions, which I think people would define as being irrational, but I have to put that in quotation marks, because it may be irrational, but it may be reasonable, because we have to make very quick decisions, which may be not, they may not conform to a rational cost-benefit analysis like most economists would say we should go through, but they're actually mm -hmm. quite efficient because we just don't have the bandwidth to go through that kind of cost-benefit analysis for all our decisions. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of this discipline of yours. This is ultimately how you picked apart our voting system and came, aco came across instant runoff voting as a solution for Georgia. Well, sort of. What, what actually brought me to that is behavioral economists very much believe in something called choice architecture, which essentially mm -hmm. says that the way people make decisions is for the most part determined by the choice architecture that they're in or the choice environment that they're in. And so if you change the choice environment that people find themselves in when making that decision, it can change the decisions that they make. So you can approach decision making. You could try to you know beat yourself to death by trying to educate people. Sometimes mm -hmm. you can just provide them with monetary incentives. But the basic idea with behavioral economics is let's change to a great extent the environment in which or the structure, the mm -hmm. infrastructure in which people are making their decisions, and that will allow them to make better decisions, hopefully for themselves and hopefully for society as a whole, if you're looking at this from a societal perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. Understood. And so what's the, the choice architecture, would you say, around... Uh, the current system of voting, and what do you think the, the difference is with instant runoff? Well, it, it varies from where you are. I would say Georgia, as I mentioned earlier, is in a better place than a lot of places because we do have runoffs, and which ensures that at least, even though it's very imperfect, we get something that resembles a majority winner, and I guess you could say the person that wins can claim that they got a mandate. Now, I should point out that is not true. You know, today is the day where the Electoral College actually voted. Right? We don't pick our presidents using that system. 
We do pick mm -hmm. every other office in Georgia with the exception of presidents. So presidents can be elected with a simple plurality. Mm -hmm. And that's true in the vast majority of states in the country. Right? Now, Maine is the only state that has adopted ranked choice voting up until now that's using it all across the board, including for presidential elections, to determine who's going to get Maine's electoral votes. Georgia mm -hmm. is not quite there yet. So Joe Biden, who won Georgia's uh, electoral votes right, and won Georgia, but he won it only by 12,000, right, he did not win right, a majority of Georgia's voters because there was a relatively strong right, third-party candidate that siphoned away votes from somebody. We don't know where that third-party candidate's votes would have gone, would have gone to Trump, would have gone to Biden. We don't know. But Biden didn't get the 50% plus one. Mm. So now so we're, we're having these runoffs in Georgia for two Senate elections because in both of those cases where we happen to have this rare instance where in the same year we do have two Senate elections because of the retirement of a former Senator, Johnny Isaacson, that in both of those cases there was no candidate that achieved that 50% plus one. So therefore we go to a runoff. But in most places, it's what they call pass the post, meaning you just get a plurality. Mm -hmm. So you can be elected with, shoot, you can be elected with 25% of the vote as long as there's a bunch of other candidates who got less than 25% of the vote. And I don't think anybody who gets a quarter of the votes can claim that the majority wanted them. In fact, it's definitely the case that the majority did not want that particular candidate. They voted for somebody else. Yep. Yeah, it's effectively winning for one more vote than second place is exactly. what dictates a winner today. It's interesting, too, and I don't want to get too off topic here. It's interesting that you bring up that uh, Joe Biden didn't win a majority, I think, because for most of us watching from the outside, you know, the numbers we were seeing were 50 point some odd percent. I don't even think that third party candidate entered into the uh, the calculations I saw on uh, at least on most national media. Yeah, well, if you were comparing him to Trump, that was the case. But there was the, the libertarian candidate who siphoned away a small percentage, but that was sufficient. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about 12,000 votes out of 5 million, so it didn't take much. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And, you know, the other thing I, I always highlight, and I think the people who watch religiously are probably sick of me talking about it, but... Um, you know, Massachusetts District 4 uh, decided their uh, representative, their congressional representative uh, in the Democratic primary, which is just common up here. It's a very blue state. And the person who's representing District 4 won 24 percent of the vote in the Democratic primary. So effectively, 24 percent of those who voted in the primary decided who was going to represent the entire district. And I think that that's another uh, another example of kind of the flaw um, of this system. And let me so, just jump in there. Because, oh, go on, you know, please. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that ranked choice voting is particularly important when you're dealing with primaries because there, very often, you have so many candidates. I mean, think back earlier this year, back in mm -hmm. January, how many candidates were there in the Democratic field? 20, mm -hmm. whatever number. It was 20 something. I forget the exact yeah. number now. It was yeah. 20 something. So the, the, the folks who went to the polls early, uh, mm -hmm. the states early, they basically were trying to choose between 20 candidates. And God knows, how do you try to figure out that how are you going to get to a majority 
situation. That well, the answer is you don't. So, mm-hmm. um, and if you're in a situation which many states are, where it's a winner take all, mm-hmm. then you get a really perverse result. At least yep. if it's broken up proportionally, which it is in some cases, it's mm-hmm. a better situation. But lots of states, like Georgia. You have a primary. It's winner take all, regardless mm-hmm. of what your winner that winner takes it with. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you do have instances where, uh, especially in the very beginning primaries, you know, the Republican primary back in twenty sixteen, I think, started out with ten candidates, uh, and uh, and you have a situation where the winning candidate is maybe getting ten, twelve percent of the vote total. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a moment with Shai Robkin. I hope you're enjoying this episode, and as always, wanted to take a short break to issue your weekly call to arms to join in the fight. Now, if you've made it this far in the episode, you know there's something wrong with the way we elect our representatives in government, and there are countless other people like you who feel the same way. And by doing a little Googling, you can find a lot of organizations in your state looking to implement electoral reform, and they need your help. It's where you can have the biggest impact as a citizen, and this is your call to find them and help them out. If you have any problems, Feel free to drop me a line at ydhty.com. That's you, Y is in you, D is in don't, H is in have. You can figure out the rest, .com. Or you can find me on social media by searching for You Don't Have to Yell or via the hashtag YDHTY. The goal of You Don't Have to Yell is to serve as a gathering point for people passionate about electoral reform, and I'd love to have you in the conversation. And now back to the episode. Getting into how this applies to Georgia then, you you already have the the runoff system. So in a way you're already ensuring a plurality. Um, how majority. do you view or majority, excuse me, sorry, thank you. You're the you're the economist here. So uh, the how so you're already ensuring a majority so how do you feel how would instant runoff differ from the current system of runoffs and how would it be an improvement to what you're currently doing well first and foremost we're not going to have another election it's all going to happen in that single general election so Mm -hmm. on november 3rd right when people went to the polls then let's just take the example of the senate runoff that uh, was what they called the regular election as opposed to the exceptional one or the uh, the regular election was between David Perdue, John mm-hmm. Ossoff, and there was a pretty strong third party candidate whose last name is Hazel running for the Libertarians. Mm-hmm. So essentially in that election right, you would go to the polls and as opposed to just voting for just one, you would vote for your first choice and then you would indicate who your second choice was. Now, let's assume, but we don't know it for a fact, that the libertarian Hazel was the third party. Now, the, he was the third party, but he was the third choice. I mean, he was not the among the top two choices of either uh, of the voters. Well, mm-hmm. then each voter's ballot would be looked at again and said, all right, uh, you voted for the libertarian Hazel first, 
he gets knocked out, who was your second choice? Right? His second choice, if it was for Purdue, the Republican, that's where his vote would have gone. If it was Ossoff, the Democrat, that's where his vote would have gone. And the, those people who voted on November 3rd, we would have then had a majority. Done deal. Now, we should point mm-hmm. out, in fairness, right, in the, instant, in the interest of intellectual honesty, no one is forced to choose beyond their first choice. So if those people that voted for that third-party candidate did not want to indicate their second choice because it's for them, let's say in this case it was a libertarian, it was libertarian or bust, mm-hmm. I, even, I don't care. And a lot of people yeah. may claim that if you voted libertarian, you really didn't care who's going to win anyway because you knew your vote was going to be wasted, which is a big problem mm-hmm. in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But it could be they'd say, look, I'm not going to give a second choice. But we do know from experience, once you're in – you're voting. People will indicate who their second choice is, um, but at least you're going to get a majority of those people who voted, and you're going to get a much larger number of people who voted as a voting as opposed to having to come back to the polls six weeks later, which is what mm-hmm. we're doing, yep. right? or two months later. It has to be at least six weeks in Georgia, right, to vote again. Yeah. Well, and look, here's the other thing. We this has been, uh, I think, a very long and sometimes exhausting uh, election season in a very long and exhausting year. And I mean, you've got a better, uh, you've got a better sense of the, the, the mood down in Georgia, but I've got to imagine there are some people who are just tuning this out now. Well, I, Am I, wrong I think, a lot of people, well, I look, I think that uh, it'll be incredibly interesting to see what the turnout is going to be. You know, today is our mm-hmm. first day that we have any kind of clue because it's the first day of early voting, but we have no idea how many people voted by mail. I voted by mail. Well, actually, I didn't mail my ballot in. We have drop boxes, which is a good thing. It just so happens that I actually took my ballot to the drop box today. So I dropped it in today. So uh, that was done. So people do believe that the turnout for this runoff will be greater than it has been in the past because, look, we're the only game in town. And, of course, if you've heard, there are hundreds of millions of dollars. The big winners, of course, on this uh, runoff are the TV stations. They mm-hmm. are raking mm-hmm. it in. Right? And what you see when you watch anything is one political ad after the next. Do any of them mm-hmm. make any difference? That I couldn't tell you. But uh, a lot of mm-hmm. people, when you say turning off or tuning out, that they're certainly tired of. One thing we talked about too before we we hit core that I found really interesting part of the 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 how I guess primaries can be reformed um, using instant runoff because we were talking a little bit about the final four and the final five system of determining elections. Is that something you're looking at a better better ballot or or no? Maybe down the road uh, okay. we will. You know, right, look, mm-hmm. let's put it this way. We're advocating for instant runoff voting, a.k.a. ranked choice voting in Georgia. Now, the truth is, is that it's going to have to be every individual party. Right? It's going to have to be the Republicans and the Democrats and the other party that's going to have to make their own decision how to conduct their election. So for this past year, there were five states that conducted their Democratic primaries using ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be more in four years from now, uh, and I would hope 
that the Republicans will also adopt this system. And I think the Republicans, to a great extent, after what happened in 2016, because one thing we do know is that Donald Trump got the Republican nomination without getting a majority mandate from the Republicans who voted in their primaries. More people voted mm -hmm. for other candidates that, than did Donald Trump. That mm -hmm. is the case. Now, mm -hmm. how would he have fared in a ranked choice voting? Well, that's conjecture. Who knows? But at mm -hmm. least we would know. At least mm -hmm. we would know. Mm -hmm. And I think you could argue, too, to, to keep it even as well. Um, when you look at um, some of the gripes on the Democrat side as well, obviously they're not always 100% happy with the way uh, their, or with their system of nominating presidential candidates. And so I think it's, very, it's, it's a very bipartisan uh, grievance, I think. Um, now, you know, let me just mention that. Oh, go I'm on, glad please. You yeah. You know, you said you know, one of the first questions you asked me is why are we doing this now? Well, we're doing this now because Georgians are so attuned right now to having to go back to the polls. But mm -hmm. the raison d'etre for this is not for right now. And for a great extent, it's really not the cost. The cost is something that we're focused on a lot. But there's so many other reasons, and we've already touched upon them, about better voters' choices and better democracy, and I would also say just better working government in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, if you look at this past Democratic primary, there were, if I get this right, about 6 million votes that were wasted, and I, I use that term wasted, but these are people who voted early, but by the mm -hmm. time their official election date came, their candidate they voted for had already dropped out of the race. Because if you remember after right, the vote in South Carolina, where Joe Biden emerged as the front runner, mm -hmm. a lot of people had already voted for Super Tuesday primaries. Well, you had right after that, you had all these candidates who dropped out. Well, their votes with ranked choice voting could have gone somewhere else. Mm -hmm. right? Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. was still in the race. Michael Bloomberg was still in the race. They could have gone mm -hmm. somewhere else. Yeah. But they basically yeah. went nowhere. And, you know, I got to say, too, I don't think you can understate the impact that's going to have on voter enthusiasm as well. Um, because if you have two candidates that emerge that even the party faithful don't necessarily feel 100% vested in, you know, that's that's not a system that's going to produce the most compelling candidates and it's not a system that's going to produce I think the candidates that resonate the most with the largest majority of voters without question I think if there's a mantra for the ranked choice voting movement is that the mm -hmm. system that we have today for the most part requires us just to vote for the lesser of two evils for many people mm -hmm. not for everybody but for many people yep. now, I like to say yep. I like things that rhyme. So with ranked choice voting, you can vote for your first without fear of the worst. There you go. See, here I am using this ham-fisted analogy about ordering my kid's dinner, and then you come up and just Dr. Seuss it, and it's just elegant and it's perfect. So thank you, you Shai. I may, I, I may steal it if you don't mind, but I will credit you Look, for it, I promise. I'll give Yo, you please. another rhyme. Okay. Rhyme away. Uh, well, the other rhyme, uh, this is my, you know, I don't know if I've ever been compared to Dr. Seuss, but I would take that as a compliment. My other one is vote for whoever speaks 
for me with no thought at all about strategy. In other words, you know, mm -hmm. we very often have to go to the polls and try to figure out, think about those Democrats who had to figure out where would their vote best be used. It wasn't who they wanted the most. They had to say, mm -hmm. well, God, I don't want to waste my vote. With mm -hmm. ranked choice yeah. voting, you don't have to think about it. You vote for whoever you want, and then you go down the list, choosing your second, mm -hmm. third, fourth, whatever number it is, and therefore, you don't have to waste time and mental energy strategizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there was there was a lot of soul searching in the very beginning of that primary too on electability, and um, you know who was going to resonate the most with Middle America, who was going to energize the base the most. And I think you know to your point, uh, those calculations wouldn't have to be made. Number one. Number two. Um, I, I think any winning candidate that emerges can clearly see whose platform was the second, third, and fourth most popular is going to have a much easier time deciding how they might amend their platform to better fit the desires of their own party uh, as a result. Well, absolutely. Uh, but it's not just that the candidates, uh, uh, the winning candidate is going to see where those came <laughs> from. That winning candidate is going to have to have his or her finger on the pulse of all the voters, or at least a majority mm -hmm. of the voters, to say, what does the majority want? You can't win by appealing to your base only. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what it means is you build broader coalitions. And that's, in my opinion, a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, especially kind of bringing it back to Georgia here, you know, Georgia is a, it's a purple state. I mean, it's historically voted Republican, but it's becoming, I think, more and more split down the middle. And correct me if I'm wrong there, Shai. Well, you know, clearly this election and our governor's election in 2018, which was very close, mm -hmm. won, won by the Republican, uh, but mm -hmm. very, very close, indicates that Georgia, perhaps one can say, is a purple state. It's certainly mm -hmm. a, uh, a toss-up state without question right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I think kind of get to your to the the point you brought up about strategy, the point you brought up about calculation. Um, I think uh, a lot of times the and again I'll I'll kind of I'll I'll dip into your knowledge of of choice architecture again here. But I think a lot of times if you look at the calculation of a candidate, uh, the candidate has to decide how am I going to fire up my base and compromise just enough to pull over those people in the middle. And I'd imagine in an instant runoff system, I can really focus maybe more on where the bulk of the votes are. Am I incorrect there or no? Well, you're going to have to look. You're going to have to cobble together 50% right, plus one. That's mm -hmm. you're going to have to do. You're not going to win. For, yeah. Like I say, in Georgia, you can't win with a plurality. That mm -hmm. is true. But you're going to have to appeal right from the beginning to a broader base of the electorate, right? The mm -hmm. And you got to be really careful about who you piss off. Uh, you mm -hmm. start attacking other candidates who say, look, you know what? You may not vote for me first, but I need you to vote for me second. And by the way, I should also point out one of the benefits, there, it, it's a two-way street here. So the candidates have to pay more attention to more voters. But it mm -hmm. also, in place they have, the voters have to take, pay more attention to more candidates. Because mm -hmm. in the system we have today, you decide, all right, I like this candidate. And quite after that, you don't even think about the other ones. Do you bother to consider what the other ones stand for? 
with their issues that are important to them. With this one, if you're thinking to yourself that your first choice is not going to emerge as the majority winner, then you have to say, or worst situation, that your first choice ends up being at the bottom of the pile and gets knocked out first. And therefore, mm-hmm. your vote has to go to somebody else. You have to say, well, who do I want it to go for? So you look at more candidates, you consider more issues, and that's a good thing, too. It leads Absolutely. to an energized and educated electorate. Absolutely. And I think the term that you used when we were when we were talking um, last that I really liked is you're not as focused on, you know, what jersey the person's wear, wearing. You know, you're not as focused on uh, the, the political brand in so much as you're really focused on the substance of what they're going to do in office. Um, one question I, I, I had for you is, you know, most of the people I've spoken with and most of the... Uh, rank choice voting, instant runoff voting initiatives I've seen have been in states with ballot initiatives, states where the voters can circumvent the state legislature to get something like this implemented. You can't do that in Georgia, though, correct? We cannot do that. We're a legislative state. Got it, got it. And so what's the strategy for pushing that forward and getting sort of the buy-in of the of the legislature to 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 enact this well you know it'd be great to think that the legislatures or the legislators are going to enact Mm -hmm. legislation simply because it's the right thing to do for democracy (laughs) okay that would be a wonderful thing uh Mm -hmm. to some extent there are those don't get me wrong there's some there's some legislators who actually do believe that we need to do the right thing to best reflect the will of the voters Mm-hmm. regardless of how those votes turn out. And if Georgia's a purple state on a statewide level, maybe this year, well, this year was you know somewhat Democrat, but somewhat Republicans. The Republicans did pretty darn well down ballot. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, but basically, yes, we're going to have to have legislators who decide they want to pass this legislation, but mm-hmm. they need to hear from the folks out there, the grassroots, from the populace, mm-hmm. say, look, we want that. And that's our job at Better Ballot Georgia. Our job at Better Ballot Georgia is to energize the grassroots, the people, to tell their representatives, you need to do this to better reflect the will of the voters in Georgia. That's our goal is to get them to communicate that, to do that. First of all, we have to educate people because we can't assume that most people understand what this is about. It's a relatively Mm -hmm. new concept. So that's Mm -hmm. a big part of what we have to do. Now, uh, the Georgia legislature will start meeting in January. They only meet for a very short, like, 40-day session each year. Um, That's how they work in Georgia. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it could be uh, that there will be some instant runoff voting legislation that will be introduced. It's not clear what the nature of that legislation may be. There's a couple of possibilities which I can talk about. Not clear. But if some legislation is introduced, and right now the folks who are thinking about that are trying to keep their cards very, very close to the chest, if that's the right term, not quite Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, But in any event, that uh, based on what legislation is introduced may actually determine how we go about our education efforts. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and from what I've heard from other folks who've pushed this forward, it really is voter education that's the number one thing because kind of getting back to something you said at the beginning of uh, 
this episode, you know, the biggest challenge or, or the biggest pushback you get is that it's too confusing. And from what I've heard time and time again is when voters have this explained to them, it makes all the difference. And and the, the buy-in is almost instantaneous. Um, do you feel too in the current climate and you know if you want to pass on this question uh, uh that's fine but you know everything i hear from from georgia at this point in time um revolves around the result of the presidential election uh the recounts how that's playing into the senate runoff uh how uh the secretary of state the republican secretary of state has to um, defend himself against his own party, and there's just a lot of um, there, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of heat around this issue. Do you feel like, in a way, from the standpoint of getting buy-in from the folks in office, this might be the best time, just given the state of affairs down there? All right. Well, it, it may be the best time. Look, you know what? We are at least based on the presidential election, although. You know, Trump is an anomaly, so maybe it's maybe mm-hmm. we're still redder than some people would like us to be. But regardless, mm-hmm. that the legislature in Georgia remains solidly red. It's solidly mm-hmm. Republican. So mm-hmm. this is not going to pass without Republicans being on board. Now, mm-hmm. that uh, I would hope that the uh, Democrats. Now there are a lot of Democrats who were just delighted, for mm-hmm. example that John Ossoff has the opportunity to run in a runoff against David Perdue because I think one can say with a great degree of assurance that in a ranked choice voting system that uh, David Perdue would have won outright because he was mm-hmm. at, he was I think at 49.8%. I mean, he was really darn close. Mm-hmm. Ossoff got 46 point something and then we had this libertarian Right, who siphoned off the majority of the third party votes. Now, it wouldn't, mm-hmm. I don't know which way the libertarians would have voted in this particular case. A lot of people want to make certain assumptions. I don't do that. But mm-hmm. it would have only taken a very s- small percentage of those libertarian votes to have gone, their second choice to have gone for Purdue to have pushed them over the top. Now, Democrats mm-hmm. are delighted in that case that ranked choice voting did not apply. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So be it. I would hope the Democrats would be willing to overlook this particular individual circumstance to look at the mm-hmm. bigger picture of why this is a good thing. And by the way, there are some folks who would say if we, if Georgia had conducted its presidential election uh, using ranked choice voting, that perhaps, okay, I think it's less certain by definitely, because in this mm-hmm. case, you know, Biden did have a lead as opposed to to uh, Purdue had a much who had a much bigger lead over Ossoff than Biden has over Trump. Some would like mm-hmm. to argue, well, perhaps you know, the votes for the third party candidates, primary libertarian, would have gone to Trump, and Trump would have won. That's mm-hmm. re- that's really speculative. I don't know, but there are people. Look, yeah. if the Republicans believe it, here's my point: if they believe it, okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. If that motivates them to pass instant runoff voting, ranked choice voting, that's fine. You know what? It's not yeah. the reason I want them to support it, but if that's what it takes, let's go for it, which is one of the reasons that the iron is hot here that we want to strike with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, and the thing I would say, too, is that there isn't uh, – I, I think one of the big challenges, you know, you have a lot of independents, obviously, who are uh, very eager to have uh, the system changed uh, – 
uh, you know, the, the, the system of running elections changed. And uh, on the partisan stand, you know, on the, on the standpoint of people who may be a little more partisan, they tend to have a little more suspicion. Um, and I think, again, anything that helps kind of get them over the hump and, and get their buy-in is great. So um, last question for you. If I'm listening to this or I'm watching this right now and I'm in Georgia and I want to get involved, how do I find you? Well, the best way to find it, unfortunately, we're so new, we don't even have a website. So mm-hmm. well, you're nobody without a website. We will have one soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way you can find us and communicate, we do have a Facebook page. And you can find mm-hmm. us. It's Better Ballot Georgia on Facebook. So you can find us uh, on Facebook right now. That's the best way to find us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are very responsive folks. I can attest to that. That is why we're sitting here. I hope you enjoy the episode, and if you haven't already, subscribe and share if you dug it. You can also find a video version of this episode on the You Don't Have to Yell channel on YouTube if you want to find out what this show is like when it's not a couple of disembodied voices. Now, what did we learn today? Well, the first thing is that one county in Georgia, Fulton County, plans to spend $6.5 million, with an M, on the current Senate runoff. And to put that number into perspective, Fulton County also had to cut $10 million from their school budget in 2021. So it goes without saying that that money could go to better causes. Now, secondly, like in 23 other states... Georgia does not allow ballot initiatives to circumvent the legislature, meaning any efforts to reform the system of elections is going to rely on state representatives and senators. And one thing we neglected to cover in this episode, but worth noting, is that part of better ballot strategy might be to get the legislature simply to permit home rule which is a strategy that allows ranked choice voting in municipal elections first. It's similar to what we heard in the last episode with the folks from Rank My Vote Florida. And with one of the big obstacles to getting electoral reform implemented being voter education, implementing it at the local level may be the best way to start. Uh, And it's an opportunity for all of us out there, as all of us can have a much greater impact at the local municipal level than we can at the state or even national level. Now, next week, we're going to take a little break from the Ranked Choice Voting Extravaganza, and I'm going to be chatting with the big Gino, our producer, for the last episode of the year, and he has asked to interview me. So I'm damn sure that's going to be fascinating. Yes, next week, all things Dan Sally. Hope you'll join me. Par usual, music courtesy of Quellertac. YDHTY's editorial advisor is Adam Yaffe, who has now forgiven me for taking his debit card for over 24 hours. YDHTY is produced by my new favorite person, the big Gino, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Bye-bye.